Thank you, brother. Romans chapter 3 this morning, if you don't mind. Romans chapter 3. This morning's lesson ties in a little bit to uh, Wednesday night's message, actually, and uh, that was kind of a surprise to me, but that's okay. God knows what He's doing. Um, here lately, this past month or so, we have been teaching on a series of lessons from a book called Real Christianity. Uh, last week, we basically threw the book away, <laughs> and uh, we're going to continue with that theme this morning. <laughs> Uh, basically what has happened is, is as I looked at this morning's lesson as I was getting ready to prepare for it this past week, it is the first time I've ever opened one of their books and actually gotten angry over the, the heading of the message and the title, and it, it really upset me. The title of the lesson is Reducing Sin. We're living in a world today where we don't need to reduce sin. We need to stop it. And so that, to be honest with you, as I read that, it really kind of aggravated me. Uh, we will be using some of the verses that were used in the book, but most often not. Uh, the one that we will be using is Romans chapter 3, starting in verse number 10. This was the text, or at least a portion of the text, down through verse number 18. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Lord, you are merciful, you are kind, but Lord, we also know that you are just. And Father, that you have a, a desire for your children to walk in the same spirit that Jesus Christ walked in this world with. Father, we ask you, God, this morning that you would help us to, Lord, not just reduce sin in our life. Father, we ask you, God, that you would just help us to remove it in any way that we can. God, give us the grace that we stand in need of this morning, we pray. Help your children as they listen. And Father, I ask you, God, that you would guard my mouth. Help me not to say anything that I should not. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here the last few days, I've got this affinity for Internet headlines as far as watching the news. And I don't watch the local news because, to be quite honest with you, it makes me angry. <laughs> There's never anything good on there. And as I was reading some internet headlines, the, the, this topic, same topic, has repeated several times. And it's this idea of uh, a, a non-Baptist tradition called Lent. And Lent is supposed to be, according to the definition of it, an idea of, uh, it, the definition that I found is Lent is a solemn Christian religious observance in the liturgy year commemorating the 40 days of Jesus Christ spent fasting in the desert and enduring temptations by Satan. Now the problem is no matter what we deny ourselves of we're never going to be able to truly understand Christ. Christ is different. We, we are to 
try to live like Christ. We are instructed in, Christian, in, in Scripture to be like Him. But just by denying ourselves is not going to accomplish that. I'm not saying don't deny yourself. But I'm saying that the tradition itself is basically fruitless. And as we look at this this morning, first thing that we need to do is to under, understand what sin really is. I'm so thankful for the Bible that God has given to us. Because God doesn't leave it to us to define what sin is. You know, for us in humanity, we would say sin is murder, maybe a few other things. But beyond that, most of the time, we would say, oh, that's not so bad. Well, that's, that's, that is taking what God is saying and twisting it. According to Scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4, the Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. We know that based on scriptural definition, sin is anything that goes contrary to what God has said. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. We've got an affinity in this world of saying, oh, it's just a little white lie. No, it's a lie. It doesn't, there, there is no qualification in that. It's either obedience to God or it's sin, one or the other. And as we consider this, we must understand that you and I, we were born with a sin nature. The Bible says in Scripture that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And no matter how hard we try, we still struggle against it. There are denominations that teach that you can come to physical perfection in your life when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I, unfortunately, do not find that in Scripture. There is no indication in Scripture that we will ever come to the place where we are sinless, perfect, until we leave this life and enter into eternity. Guys, I'm thankful that we will one day know what it means to never sin again. But in this life, we struggle against it. Our human nature is such that we cannot often overcome, at least not on our own. And that is the idea behind this message, this lesson this morning. I don't want us to go through this life trying to just reduce sin. I want us to come to the point where we recognize it. And we don't have time this morning. We wouldn't have time in a year's worth of mornings to be able to list all of the sins that are available for us to commit in this life. We wouldn't have time to be able to talk about how to overcome them individually. But we do know that God has given us the ability to have victory in our life through Him. We do also know that sin comes with a penalty. The wages of sin is death. But that's not just for a sinner. That's not just for an unsaved person. One of the greatest fallacies in Christianity today is this idea is that once we get saved, we're no longer responsible for our actions, that we no longer have to worry about whether we're doing right or wrong. Yes, all of our sins are paid for, and I'm grateful and thankful to God that they are. But we should still live a life where we endeavor to live like Christ. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. If there's no other reason in the world to try to deny sin in our life, that is the best one. I mean, we couldn't ask for anything better. The problem is the sinfulness of man. As we think about this this morning, I, I would remind you that God did not create us as sinners. God created us in His own image. 
God created us to be like Him. But because of man's choice and choices, notice the distinction, a, a past choice and present choices, we unfortunately find ourselves consistently and constantly drawn back to a sinful habits and lifestyle. Now, I stand here this morning and I look around the room and I am not by any means accusing you of any gross sin. I'm not saying that you're a, you've created some infidelity in your life and that you've cheated on your spouse. No, I'm not saying that. But the problem is, any shortcoming is a sin. I have issues in my life. I have a, a friend from years ago. He told me one time, half joking, he says, you've got more issues than most magazines. And the problem is, he's right, I do. We each have issues. We've got problems. Sometimes it's just a, a, an issue of anger. Sometimes it's an issue of wanting to say what's in our mind and in our heart half the time without even thinking about saying it. And sometimes that just doesn't work out so well. And guys, we need to understand that, that we are sinful. We are a sinful people, and we constantly have to struggle against that. Now, I'm thankful this morning that when God saved us, and I say this quite frequently, I'm thankful that when God saved us, He knew what we are. He knew that we would continue to sin throughout our life. We might struggle against it, but it's still going to happen. As I was reading through the lesson outline, I, I, I read across this one section, and interestingly enough, it says that, that God doesn't save us based on what He wants us to become. He saves us based on His grace and mercy and love. And the thought came to my mind, you know, your dog may love you because you stopped kicking him. But God doesn't love you any more or less because you are good or bad. God loves you the same no matter what. But He does desire that we would walk with Him. And the problem is that because of our nature... It creates issues, and we'll get to those issues. Unfortunately, all of these things run through my mind at the same time. Preacher knows what I'm talking about, and you just want to jump straight to the end sometimes, but you can't always do that. The problem is that God does know our heart, and God does know our nature. When we read through Scripture, we read passages like Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, and this was read Wednesday night. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Brother Preston preached a great message Wednesday night. This idea of being led by our heart is the most dangerous thing that we could ever do. If it were up to me and if I did what my heart wanted me to do, I'd buy an island in the middle of the Bahamas and tell the world to take a hike. I'll be quite honest about it. We've got a pastor in our past, my wife and I do, that he had the favorite statement of saying, if I did what my heart wanted me to do, I'd be stealing cars by morning. He's a pastor. And you're like, wow, first time he said that, it took us back. But God knows our heart. He knows that our heart is desperately wicked. He knows there are issues with it. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the Bible says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only, notice that word, only, evil continually. No matter how much we want to, we always have thoughts. We always have things that run through our mind that just might not be the purest. You guys, God said that this was the only thing that went through man's mind at that point. Thankfully now, because of 
us accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have the ability to have some kind of fruit in our mind, not just only evil continually. John chapter 2 and verse number 24 and 25, the Bible says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. That is the amazing thing about our God. He can see us this morning and He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And we, we read about in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, how that Scripture is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows what we think. God knows what our desires are. And yet God still loves us. But you know, it's not just our heart that's the issue. The biggest issue, to be quite honest with you, is the human nature that you and I have. When Adam chose to sin in the garden, now here's the distinction that you'll find in Scripture. We always see in Scripture that Adam is the one that's blamed for the fall, not Eve. Who's the one that partook of the fruit first? Eve did. She was deceived, Scripture says. But the problem is man made a choice. Adam chose. He knew what the repercussions would be. And that's the problem. By nature, we often choose the wrong things. Sometimes without meaning to, but quite often because we want to. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead, thank God for were, dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Notice verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. We were sinners. We were unregenerate. We were unsaved. We were children of wrath. But the end of this verse says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what we were. Now we've got the Holy Spirit that lives within us to temper our carnal desires, to be quite honest with you. If it, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's restraining in our life, we would not be who we are today. I love an old phrase that I've heard in years gone by about an old preacher, and I honestly can't remember which one it was. He's supposedly walking down the street, and he hears a voice from behind him calling him by name. And they said, do you remember me? This is, this is me. And she gives her name. He goes, yes, but I'm not him anymore. Thank God I'm not the man that I used to be. We struggle. And we are imperfect. But we are not what we used to be. And our, our desire to live for Christ must come to the place where we realize and recognize that it cannot be a matter of reducing the sin in our life. As I considered this and I, I thought about it, there's an old joke about a, a man that gets pulled over for speeding and the police officer uh, not, not speeding, for running a red light. And he says, well, I slowed down for the, for the traffic light and the police officer gets out and begins to smack him on the head with his billy club. And he says, now you tell me, do you want me to slow down or do you want me to stop? 
And guys, that's the whole idea. God doesn't want us to slow down on our sin. He wants us to stop. When we read through Scripture, it's, it's interesting the number of times that God really tells us not to do something. We look at passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. The Bible says, abstain, that means stop or to refrain or to hold back. Abstain from all appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. If it even doesn't look right, don't do it. I'm not criticizing anybody in the room this morning that might desire or even participate in going to movie theaters, but my wife and I, we have chosen years ago to not do that. I don't care if it's a Christian movie. I love some good Christian movies, some of them more recent, but I always wait until they come out on DVD so we can watch them at home. Why? Because I remember my days before salvation, and I remember what takes place in a movie theater. You see, the problem is that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The things that take place in movie theaters are not always wholesome. It's a, an abstaining from an appearance of evil. There's no evil in going to a movie theater, but at the same time, the appearance of it. I can park in the parking lot of a bar, but it doesn't mean that I'm going in, but it gives an appearance of evil. Guys, that's the whole idea behind this verse. We're to abstain from all appearance of evil. If it even looks bad, don't do it. My wife has adopted a habit that I have had for most of my life. Uh, I pick up a gallon of milk, and you can ask my wife what the first habit is that I've got. I shake it up, I take the lid off, and I take a smell. If it don't smell right, I ain't drinking it. It's that simple. And if we would apply that same attitude to actions in our life, if it doesn't smell good, don't do it. And it doesn't matter if it smells good to you and me. Does it smell good to God? You see, God says that our prayers are as an odor that comes up to Him. That kind of gives me the idea that maybe some of the other things that we do in our life might create an odor too. You send somebody out into the field to work for a day. When he comes back, he doesn't smell like he did when he started. He's quite fragrant by the time he gets finished. Our life creates fragrances that God is inspecting. God is smelling them. And we need to consider that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 11, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. See, here's the aspect of sin that many of us don't take into account. Sin is not just a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. It creates a war within us, a desire to both do good and do evil. The old story about the Indian that gets saved and the missionary sits down next to him to talk to him later and he asks him how he's doing and he, he says, it's like there's this battle within me, a black dog and a white dog. The missionary asks him, he says, which dog is winning? He says, it depends on which one I feed the most. Right. And guys, this battle is always within us. And the, the sins that we commit do have a spiritual impact on our life. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I don't know about you, but I need God to hear me. 
There are things that are going on in my life and in the life of my family and my wife's family that if I can't reach God, we've all got issues. We've got major problems. And I need to live my life to such a point that God will hear me. I don't want God to say, oh, remember what you did last week. I'm not going to listen to you. I want God to hear me. Ephesians chapter 5 is an interesting passage of Scripture. Verses 1 through 7, the Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. There's a whole message you could preach just on that one verse alone. He says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. God doesn't say just reduce the amount of fornication and uncleanness and covetousness. He says, let it not once be named. Don't ever do that. You see, God doesn't want us to just reduce sin. God doesn't want us to say, oh, that one's not so bad. I'm going to hang on to that one, but I'll quit this one over here. No, that's not what God wants. God wants us to come to a place where we recognize sin and we do everything that we can to avoid it, to cut it out from our life. Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 9, brings into light this morning a concept that we should be aware of. It has often been said that repentance is a sorrow for sin. But that is not a complete definition. Repentance is a sorrow for sin and a turning from it. You see, if we don't turn from sin, then there's truly no real sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9, the Bible says, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Sorrow is not truly effective until it's mixed with actions. The passage of Scripture that came to my mind as I thought about this is Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 8. The Bible says, Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Bring forth fruit. Fruit is the one thing that as Christians we are told should be in our life. We are to bear fruit. We are told in Scripture that there will be some that produce fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. We are told that fruit is necessary in our life. But yet also in this particular passage of Scripture, there's different types of fruit in our life. A fruit that's meat or suitable or fitting to repentance. A turning from sin. Now here's a, here's a concept that many overlook. I'm not saying they're not aware of it. I'm just saying they overlook it. I look at Brother Doug this morning, and if I turn from Brother Doug, I have to turn somewhere else. You've got to replace that with something. Maybe this morning we'll use Brother Mark as the example. I'm not saying in this instance one is better than the other. I'm just saying if you're going to turn from one thing, you've got to find something to replace it with. Because if you do not, there's a concept found in Scripture of a, of a demon, a devil, a devils, 
that are kicked out and then they come back later and they find the house swept and cleaned and garnished. That's not what, that's not what's supposed to happen in our life. That, that emptiness, that void has to be filled with something else. The years that I struggled with my speech, the words that I had to unlearn had to be replaced with other words. I know words this morning that unfortunately some of you also know that are not the most wholesome words. And they were such a part of my speech pattern before I got saved that for the first several months in particular, I had to struggle. I had to literally stop and think what I was going to say before I said it because otherwise you were going to get the old language. And I had to learn new words to replace those. And I'm not always saying that, I'm not saying that always the new words are better than the old words. But sometimes we just have to stop and, and consider our life. What are we going to replace this problem with? Sorrow is, is useful, but it can also be damaging. The Apostle Paul, or the, the Scripture tells us about the uh, Apostle Peter. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse number 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Romans chapter 7, verse number 24, the Apostle Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from, this, from the body of this death? They both recognized sorrow for sin, but yet they did not allow that to overcome them to the point where they sat down and wept and cried and couldn't go on. We can do that quite easily. We can become so overwhelmed by the sorrow for our sin that we give up and we sit down and we don't do anything. We cannot allow that to happen. What is necessary when, when sorrow sets in, we must determine to submit to surgery. We must determine to come to the place where we recognize what's there and remove it from our life. If somebody has cancer, often other treatments don't work. And the only real treatment is to go in and surgically remove that cancer from their life. We read passages of Scripture like Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Ye have heard it said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now notice in this passage that this person has not committed a physical act. Look at verse number 29 says, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one, of the, that one of thy members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right eye, right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Notice in this passage here, that it says, if thy right eye or thy right hand offend. This doesn't mean that it looks at you, tells you you're fat, ugly, and lazy. No, that's not it at all. Yeah, yeah, that might offend us, but that's not what it's talking about. It is literally talking about causing us to sin. If I cannot keep my eyes from looking at the things that cause me to lust, I need to do something about that. It might be as simple as removing a computer or a piece of electronic equipment from our life, or it might literally mean a complete revamp of our life, including a relocation. 
We've got to consider what the problem is and, and submit ourselves for surgery. And say, Lord, you know what you're doing. Would you fix this in my life? The problem is quite often we don't have the ability or the desire to fix it ourselves. God can. But we have to submit to Him to do it. I mentioned earlier that sin always has a cost. And for this section, I titled it Sanctions. Preacher, you're rubbing off on me, trying to alliterate here. This isn't good. It doesn't always work too well for me. People do have an impact on your life, by the way. <laughs> Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We know that. We talked about it. But when we read passages like Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord also, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. God does chasten us. God does sanction us in this life. There's a sanctioning that's to come when we stand before Him in judgment too. We read about the different types of building materials in Scripture. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. You know, everything that we do in our life, every action in our life creates some kind of building material. Whether it's good or bad, one way or the other, it's going to be created. And when we stand before our God for the very last time, stand before Him in judgment for the last time, it's either going to survive or it's going to be destroyed. We've got to come to the place where we realize that there are sanctions, there are repercussions for the actions, the sins in our life. But there's always sanctification. Sanctification is possible. God, when He saved us, created a brand new creature. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I'm not remodeled. My wife and I, we knew a man down in Florida when we were living down there that he remodeled an old Model A car. He took that thing apart all the way down to the nuts and bolts, sandblasted it, put it back together, and it looked absolutely beautiful. But you know, it was not a new car. It still had issues. There were still evidences of the rust. There were still evidences of the repairs if you looked deep enough. But when God saved us, He made us a new creature. He took what was old and decrepit and destroyable and removed it and made us an eternal creature. God changed us. 1 John chapter 2 has one of my favorite passages of Scripture in it. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, choosing a favorite Scripture for me is very difficult. I, I like from cover to cover, and I even like the cover. We see in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. There it is again, that ye sin not. Don't reduce it, stop it. That ye sin not. And if any man sin, I almost wish, to be honest with you, that Scripture said in when. But it says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. 
And hereby do we hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We have an advocate. We've got somebody that can change us and sanctify us even as a child of God. You know, it's interesting that the Bible says that that once we're saved, Jesus told his disciples, he says, you know, you need not but that you wash your feet. I don't know about you, but that's that's a tough concept for me to deal with, to be quite honest with you. I've been around me at the end of the day, and washing my feet just isn't going to cut it. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, God's saying that when we walk through this world, there are going to be things that cling to us, and we need to come back to the washing of water by the washing of water by the word and fix that in our life on a daily basis. We need to come back to it, and we need to understand that God can, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That is not H-O-L-Y, it's W-H-O-L-L-Y. Completely. Our God isn't interested in just the outside. He's interested in the inside and the outside. So many of us as Christians think, oh, God looketh on the heart. Yes, he does. But he also wants to see what it looks like on the outside. What happens in our heart should have some impact on the outside. When God changes our heart, it should have an influence and an impact on our speech. It should have an impact on our desires for this life. And I am, I am my own hardest critic, and I should be. I shouldn't need Brother Chuck to look at me and say, Preacher, you need to get that right. I need to be able to look at my own life and say, That's just not right. It doesn't line up with the Word of God. Scripture tells us that if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. I, I, can't, I can't compare myself to, to Preacher. I, I can't compare my life to his and and say, well, th this is where I need to be. This is the, the example of perfection because unfortunately, preachers created out of the same sinful flesh that I am. I, I love my pastor. I, I care for him very much, but I know he's just like me to a certain extent. Thank God we don't all commit the same sins, but we all have the same sinful nature. Jude verse 24 is a promise that many of us don't claim. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Yes, I know this is a small portion of a larger chapter, a larger passage, but we must understand that God is able to keep us from falling if we will submit to Him. If we will come to the place where we Say, Lord, I trust you with my life. I, I trusted you with my soul. Will you fix my life? It's interesting in Christianity that we say that we trust God enough to keep us from going to hell. But yet we don't trust Him enough to fix our life. We go to the doctor and, I don't know about you, but a piece of paper hanging on the wall telling, a, telling me that a doctor went to a certain college doesn't mean much to me. Does he care about me means an awful lot. Does he want the best for me? Or does he look at a problem that I've got in my life and he say, oh, that's not so bad. It'll be all right. And the next thing you know, the repercussions from it have grown to the point where surgery is really necessary. Spiritually speaking, that is what we need in our life. We've got a God that loves us enough 
to say, don't do that. And He can keep us from doing it. He can enable us. Our own desires can, can help us to try, but they really can't create success until we submit and ask God to fix us. The last section this morning I entitled Spectacles. I was talking to Sister Edna before church this morning. She goes, I remembered my glasses. Be careful what you tell me. It could work its way into a Sunday school lesson. My wife knows she lives in a glass house. She'll be happy this morning that I'm not picking on her. I've, let, I've titled this section this morning Spectacles. Without my spectacles, you guys are all just a bunch of blobs to be honest with you all I can see is skin tones and that's about it the problem is until I put them on I can't see things clearly I can't see things the way that I need to and we we need to begin to see things properly sin is inevitable it is pervasive it's everywhere but yet we should be able to recognize it and often we do not Oh, that's not so bad. I hate that phrase. I honestly hate it, especially when I use it. When we think of this idea of needing spectacles and recognizing sin in our life, one of the major issues is, is that so many of us, even Christians, we say, but I just can't help it. Well, congratulations, you just called God a liar. You say, preacher, that's me. Yes and it's designed to be. You called God a liar because God said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's only through Christ that we can have any kind of victory. But we can have victory. We can overcome sin. We don't have to do the things that we often do. And again, I'm not talking about you guys have been out shooting people in the dark. I'm not talking about you guys have been sexually being promiscuous. I'm not talking about any of that. Any small infraction against God that doesn't line up with His Word is a sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. To him that knoweth to do good. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't do it. Now here's a concept, and I, I'm thankful this morning that my wife is not God. Yeah, I'll take care of that later. Right now in our bathroom at the house is a towel. I decided to uh, trim the fur on my face the other day, and I, I try to be kind about it. I lay a towel over the sink, and I trim my beard, and all the hair goes in the towel. And when I'm done, I fold the towel up, and I lay it in the floor. And later, I take it outside and use it on the plants. And they like nitrogen and stuff like that. So, you know, shake it out in the flower bed. Oh, right now it's still laying on the floor. <laughs> and, you know, my wife will remind me, you know, we still need to deal with that towel if I'm going to wash that thing, you know. <laughs> I'll get it. It's still laying there. It's been there a week now. <laughs> I thank God my wife isn't God because she told me to do something, and I did it not. And if she was God to me, that would be sin. You know, that's a real problem. We need to understand that sin is a possibility and a probability in our life, but we should not be satisfied to let it remain. Romans 5, verses 19 through 21 gives us this idea that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. If you've got a problem in your life, 
it can be overcome through God. Grace does abound. And His grace can cover anything. Don't come to the place where you just give up and say, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. Please don't do that. Don't try to just reduce sin in your life. Remove it. If you recognize a problem in your life, fix it. James 4, verses 6 through 10, and these will be the last verses we read. The Bible says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You want victory in your life, there's the recipe for fixing it. You have sin that's a, a major problem in your life, there's the recipe to fix it. Don't just say, I'm just going to step back from it. and, and I'm, I'm only going to do that particular sin once a week. No, that's not the answer. Cut it out completely if you need to. Don't just reduce sin. Remove it. We have just a few minutes, and I am going to do something that probably breaks church tradition, but we'll, I think we'll live. Uh, we're not going to have a, a true invitation. I would ask you this morning to consider with me sin in your life. Don't, be, don't accept it. Don't remain in it. Do something about it. Father, we thank You for this morning. And Lord, I know I've gone long. And Lord, I ask You, Father, that You would help us as a church, Lord, to recognize the sin in our life. And Lord, it may be just small things. And I hope that it is. But Lord, even the small things can have a spiritual impact. Would You work in each heart that's here this morning? If there's one in this room this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, I would ask You to work in their heart to help them to ask somebody to sit down next to them and help them to understand from Scripture how to be saved. But Lord, I do believe that most in this room this morning know Christ as their Savior. Lord, would You help us to be the child we should be. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed. We have about five, six minutes it looks like until morning service. Sorry, preacher. Thank you.